Good morning to all of you. We're talking about wisdom here, the prayer about wisdom. Did you see that? Looking at that, the wisdom coming this morning. Um, some of us, we uh, they test us for our IQs. I, uh, when I was going through some of my training in psychology, I um, took three different IQ tests, and um, they all had different scores. Of course, the highest one was the correct one, but um, I went through, went through all of those together. Uh, couldn't we agree that uh, being wise and being very smart aren't necessarily the same thing? Would that would we agree to that? You could say, yeah, you could, you could be very smart, but not very wise. Yes. You could be wise, but not very smart. They could all go together there, happening together. Uh, being wise means, generally, we think of that using good judgment. Being wise and using that. Have you ever heard of the Darwin Awards? Darwin Awards, uh, whoops, that went too far. We'll have to back up one. The Darwin Awards, could you back me up one more? To the Darwin Awards. Just come back. There we go. The Darwin Awards. The Darwin Awards, I thought of falling after Charles Darwin and that hoping that people's good judgment and wisdom would evolve and get greater as the time goes by and that people would uh, wake it up to that. Well, they give away awards each year uh, to those who they hope would evolve a little farther in their judgment. I have one. This is the highest ranked one right now. You get to vote on them if you ever know about the Darwin Awards. It goes like this. On the 8th of March in New Jersey, a Wanaker man died in a vehicle fire after he drove around a barricade cones and onto live power lines in Franklin Lakes. A good son, Anthony G., was en route to his father's house to shovel the driveway. After a second northeaster storm in a week, hundreds of thousands were left without power. Utility crews worked overtime to deal with the downed trees and electrical lines. Traffic snarls and frustrated motorists were everywhere. Anthony did not want to lose time to a detour. So according to police... Our winner simply navigated around the bright orange traffic cones, warning motorists of the hazardous down wire on Route 208. Responding to calls, officers arrived at 9 a.m. to find the vehicle fully engulfed in flames. A power line was sputtering on the roadway near the vehicle. The fire totally gutted the fire, and the driver was pronounced dead at the scene. Ironically, this Darwin Award winner was employed as a New York City electrician. What did you think of that, Glenn? Yeah, I, oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear. Uh, I've done some really stupid things in the past. I remember driving my car, and I was on my way home from college, and I had my little MGBGT. I was going up the grapevine to go up over into L.A., down towards San Diego to where we lived at that time. And so I was on my way, and, it, and so it got us started to go up there. It got terribly foggy, terribly foggy. And um, so we were driving, and I was driving in first gear on the freeway. And we're just all chugging along when a Porsche went, choo, zipped right past me. And I said, he can, I can. So I pulled in behind him. 
And for the next uh, 15, 18 miles, I drove at 60 to 70, 70 miles an hour through the fog, just completely focused on the lights of the Porsche ahead of me. And eventually it cleared as we got up high enough, and, and then I began to think, finally think. What an idiot. Don't do that. I tell my boys, don't you ever do that. Don't you ever do that. I could have been a Darwin Awards winner. Uh, going One time I went in to talk to my conference president. I was a senior pastor at church, and I was looking for a youth pastor. And I went in to talk with him because the particular youth pastor that we were looking for uh, happened... Uh, there was a young man who was a youth pastor in our conference, and he was on the verge of being let go. And I knew him as a great guy and as a real friend, and, and I, I went to talk to the conference president, and I said, I'm looking for a youth, youth pastor, and here's one who's available. And I know him. I've known him for, we meet at camp meeting, and he's doing all kinds of things. He's very outgoing, very friendly. Uh, guy and and um, and I said, but you guys are letting him go. And I said, this can't we give him another chance to have happen? And the conference president was very patient with me, and and he asked me this question: Does he use good judgment? Oops. Unfortunately, he did not. Not use good judgment. And that's why the conversation said, he said to me, you know, you can teach a man how to preach, you can teach him how to do Bible studies, you can teach him all things, but you can't teach him to have good judgment. Either has it or he doesn't. Evidently, Anthony, our electrician, did not use good judgment on that day to have happen. So as I was thinking about this and we're going forward with this and we're thinking about this, does good judgment, does wisdom come with age? Well, hopefully as we get older, we get wiser. I don't drive through the fog at 70 miles an hour following a Porsche where I can barely see the lights in front of me. I don't do that anymore. So perhaps there is some wisdom that comes with age helping as we get older and going, perhaps you understand that as well. Would you open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 2? I would like for you to see something in the writings of Paul that talk about wisdom, but from a different direction than perhaps we have looked at before. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, page uh, 794, if you're looking in one of our Bibles in there. Beginning with the very first verse, and he said, uh, and so... It is with me, uh, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or of human wisdom. Stop. Stop right there. Stop right there. So would you notice that? When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom. He's going to draw a contrast here in his words between the wisdom that he's talking about in Scripture and the wisdom of this world. We're going to look for that contrast. It is important for us to check that out because I think it helps us understand what Paul is talking about in wisdom, good judgment in wisdom about what is taking place around us. 
So going back to that, when I came to you, I did not uh, come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God, as I proclaimed the testimony or the witness about God. I did not come with eloquence of speech. And so it was not. In Corinth, they had great speech people who got up and it was very entertaining as they would go. You'd pay money, you'd go to the theater, and you'd hear these great orations. And so the people in Corinth were familiar with those great orations. And so they said, that would be super. We would go down and we'd hear this. And Paul didn't seem to rise to the level of that. He was not trying to be eloquent. He was not trying to turn a phrase. He was not trying to be He was not trying to perform. And so he makes the statement to them that I did not come to you to be of wisdom and be eloquent and have this human wisdom that you go, oh, that was really, that was very entertaining. We'll have to come back again another time. He goes on, I have something more important when I proclaim the testimony to God to you. Verse 2, for I resolved to know nothing. I wonder if you have this underlined in your Bible. I'm resolved to know nothing while I was with you except... Jesus Christ and him crucified. You familiar with that text? I am resolved. Here, Paul was a great scholar. Paul had been trained by Gamaliel. He had gone to the best in education. He was the top in his class. And here he was saying, I did not come to do that. I did not come to be wise with you. All I came for was to share with you this, except that, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That was it. That's what I came for. Verse 3. So, I can almost read this, can you? I don't know why I did it this way. Um, I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. And I don't know why he would feel that he did it that way. But my message and my preaching were not the wise and persuasive words. Stop. Stop right there. He did not come to use wise and persuasive words. If I could just win the argument, which they did in Corinth. They had arguments back and forth. The eloquence of it, trying to win as they would argue back and forth. I did not come to do that, to try to persuade you. So you could do that. So you would buy into my product, as it were. I didn't come to do that to you. Which is far different than what the world was going on, particularly in Corinth, as they would look at that. And they say, oh, yeah, yeah, I see that, I see that. He said, I did not come to the... You see, it's kind of like a... Kind of, we know the phrase, you know, looking for love in all the wrong places. You know that? You know, you've heard that song about that? Well, Paul's making the point. It's like perhaps we are looking for wisdom in all the wrong places. Looking for wisdom in all the wrong places. So I didn't come, Paul said, to be so eloquent and so have wisdom. And you would just be enthralled with what I would say to have happened. Verse 4, my message, my message and my preaching were not with the wise and persuasive words, but with a, and this is my emphasis, demonstration of the Spirit's power. With a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Now he's contrasting between the eloquence of speech and what would be convincing, what would be the part, is the demonstration of God's power in the lives of people. And you would see that as compared to saying, well, I was just persuaded. That was good. Yes, I think that was a great guy. Yeah, I buy that argument. So he said that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, 
but on God's power. You see, the persuasive power of any preacher of the gospel lies much less in what he says than what he conveys. Which is good for me to remember, isn't it? Far less in what I may say, but in what the message that is being conveyed. On occasions, as people are leaving the church and after I've spoken, I've had people say things to me, I really, really learned this in your sermon. Hmm. And I look through my notes and I never touch the topic. (laughs) Because I know that in this room, right now, the Spirit of God works in your mind and on your heart. And it's not up to me. I need to share what I believe comes to Scripture to help formulate an atmosphere. But it's your mind in consoling with the God to open your heart. And that's what feeds you. It's the power of preaching, truly. I've been to meetings where I've, I've had someone uh, preaching. We had a pastor at Boston Temple, and I think most of the people kind of, yeah, yeah, he's okay, he's okay. But as I'm sitting there listening to him preach, sharing the gospel, I've never had a pastor from Scripture share so much of the gospel of Christ so clearly and succinctly. And sometimes I said, I wanted to say to him, stop, stand up and just say, stop, say that over again. Or can we play instant replay and have it go back and show us that again? Because I'm afraid it went past people and they didn't hear what he was saying because he was not eloquent. But in actual fact, the Spirit of God works in the room no matter what. You see. Verse 6, we do... However, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age, not the wisdom of this age, or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. So what do we consider the wisdom? He's talking about the wisdom of this age as compared to what he is talking about. And he's drawing a contrast for us to see that the great wisdom, that it comes from uh, the great good judgment, the idea of what is right and what is wrong comes from this age, is far different than what comes and what he's sharing through the Spirit. So what is he saying? What is he, Paul talking to us about? What kind of a contrast is he drawing? You see, Paul had his critics. Oh, my lands, did he? There were people who were following him all the time. And where he would travel, they would travel. And they'd stirred up nothing but trouble. Constantly warring against him. Now I understand that a pastor needs to have at least 18% of his congregation actively working against him in order to prove he's doing his right job. Evidently, we need to raise that a little bit here. I guess I must not be doing. But Paul was talking about a different kind of wisdom. A different kind of wisdom. Not the wisdom that this world offers. Not that kind. Well, we have a lot of wisdom that's offered in this world, don't we? 
Why, you can go to a bookstore and look around, and there's a whole section of self-help books. Have you seen those? Many of them, many of them I have read. I picked those books off, gotten great information from them and help from them. It's not that there's wrong with them. Paul's saying it's not like that. It's not the wisdom of that. Perhaps you've gone and talked with a counselor and shared your thoughts with a counselor. And I found that as to be helpful. I've gone to a counselor and at times I'm kind of frustrated and I just need someone I can talk to who doesn't have any skin in the game who's not trying to choose me one way or the other, but it'll help me think things through. So that's how, but that's not the wisdom God is talking, uh, Paul is talking about here, about the Spirit of God. Not what he's drawing his attention. He's talking about the mysteries of God. The wisdom wrapped around in the mysteries of God. And that wisdom that comes from God, he's talking about. Verse 7, so no, we now we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Now, we think of the Pharisees. If you're going with me to, uh, to the Holy Land, they still have Pharisees there. You'll see them. I was on my, I was telling someone earlier, I was at the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem and I was making my way. I was going to go up onto the top of Temple Square. It was Sabbath. And as I was going, I reached into my pocket and I had a notepad and I was just getting ready to write down my thought about being there in the, uh, at the Wailing Wall. An incredible experience. And as I got my pen out to write, one of the rabbis quickly came up to me and says, don't, don't, don't you do that. Don't you break the Sabbath. What? Oh, that's right. That's right. That would be considered work somehow. <laughs> so I, fine. I'll wait till I get up onto the Muslims and the Muslims won't care if I write something on the <laughs> Sabbath day. Friday, maybe but not the Saturday. So I waited till I walked up, then I got my pen back out, wrote my note. Pharisees. The wisdom that they had gathered, the wisdom that was happening at Jesus' time, at Paul's time, were men who had studied the scriptures. They thought that they had it all down. They thought that they had written, but those Pharisees had misunderstood the great wisdom of God because their minds were closed to it. So he goes on and says, however, however, all right, it is written, watch this. What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. In actual fact, Paul is taking and paraphrasing a little bit out of Isaiah 64. But I love this, no, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. Come on, say that with me. What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. 
They could not understand the great things of God. They could not grasp at the Pharisees because they did not love him. So they could not see it. So they could not grasp the wisdom of God. Because their hearts were hard. They were going through the motions. Oh, they had every motion down, everything down, to trying to follow all the rules, to go everything. But there was no love for God. There was fear. No love. And so they couldn't grasp Jesus coming. And they put him on a cross. Many times when I'm talking to individuals, no matter what their age is, we tend to think small about God's dreams for any of us. We tend to think small. I never dreamed where God would take me in ministry. Never dreamed it. The things that God is saying, I never dreamed I'd be here with you like this. But it amazes me the opportunities of God's opening the door to take me places that I never thought. I never thought in ministry I'd ever stand in Red Square or be out in the bush in Kenya, Africa. Or building a church in Mexico. Or many of the other places that God has taken me. I never thought about that. That would happen. Because we tend to think too small. No eye has seen, no ear has heard. Things that God has for those who love him. Never, Never grasp it. Never grasp it. Verse 10. These are the things that God has revealed to us by what? By his spirit, you see. By his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For, he goes on, for who knows a person's thoughts except that their own spirit within them. You're the one who knows what you're thinking. In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. What we have received is not the spirit of this world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given to us. This is why we speak, not the words taught to us by human wisdom, but in words taught to us by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities in a spiritual taught words. And that's what Jesus was talking about when he was sharing with the disciples that you will go and share these things. And then they stood up in front of the Sanhedrin and they marveled at them as they looked at this through the court system as they were being accused that these men, they spoke with boldness and with sureness and with truth that these men had been with Jesus. And how did they get that? That's because the Spirit of God was with them. See? Spirit of God. So, being wise. There are important times that we have right wisdom. Right wisdom. I was in college, and at the time I was in college... Climbing mountains was a huge thing. There were a lot of people who, a lot of the guys who had their ropes, they had their carabiners, they had all their stuff. They wanted to scale. And one of the uh, challenges, not too far, as you went down into California, would be to go to uh, Yosemite and to climb El Cap. 
El Capitan, that would be the one. That would be quite an ascent. It takes quite a while to do that. You go up the sheer face of it and climbing up that rock face up several thousand feet from the base. Well, I had a young man who was down the row, down the room uh, dorm for me, and he and his brother were world-class climbers. His brother is, is, had already finished college, but because of their years of experience, even at a young age, they had become world-class climbers. And they had gone up El Capitan, they had done face, um, Half Dome, they had done many things here and in Europe, uh, and had been extremely careful. They were very wise. Well, there were some other students down the hallway I said, well, if you can do it, I can do it. And then, so why don't we go up El Cap and let's do something special. Let's take it over Christmas, our Christmas break, and let's climb up El Cap. Let's make a winter ascent. And this other fellow, his name was Eric Furman, he goes, Eric goes, I don't think it's wise to make a winter ascent on El Cap unless you're incredibly prepared. Oh, we will be. We will be. Well, they did. He warned them to be wise on El Cap. And <laughs> tragically, they got frostbite and lost a few toes, and one of them lost a little bit of a finger, and they got out there, and they didn't have to be rescued. They made it, but they paid dearly for it because they weren't, they weren't really prepared. And as I was listening to them, I said, Where is the good judgment in that? It's kind of like driving your car through the fog behind a Porsche, you know? Where's the good judgment? So, Paul is not calling for us about wisdom like that when climbing El Cap. He's not calling for that. What he's basically calling for us and asking for us is let the Spirit of God give you wisdom about the things of God. The things of God. The things that really matter. And that's not what's happening in our world. Now, you recognize Material Girl, Uh, Madonna. um, When I was doing my uh, doctoral dissertation, I was interested in some of the comments that were at the time coming out from Material Girl. And uh, Madonna was... um, dabbling in religion, and she felt she was an authority on the Bible as she saw it. And I was listening to her as she, uh, some of the things that she had said, and I was reading about them, about the great things that she had written. And I was surprised, and I wondered, how do I listen to material girl who has no background whatsoever in interpretation of Scripture as compared to someone like Martin Luther. And the era in which we lived was, in the wisdom of the ages, it doesn't matter, it's whatever you enjoy. Interpret whatever you like out of it. So the question would be, how does a person get taught God's wisdom? How does a person make that journey? How do they get to that specific place? It may not come just by pouring over and reading because the Jews did that Pharisees they had read, 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 read you can go to Jerusalem today and see it 
still happening today. But when the disciples were being called, Jesus sometimes would just simply say to them, come and see. Come and see for yourself. Come and test it out. It reminded me of Psalms 34, 8, which says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Takes refuge in him. It's the opening of the heart and the willingness to be taught. I was out watching a young man shooting basketball hoops out in in Reno at our school. And uh, he was shooting, and and as I uh, was watching him for a little bit, he he just couldn't get it in because he was just shooting basically a flat shot to it. And I said, um, watching this, I said, put a little more arc in that. Put a little more open. It'll be, I think it'll be easier to go in. Yeah, I know. And went on shooting it flat style and didn't hit anything. Not open to learning, trying something different. Have you been there? I've been there. I don't want to listen to you. But the Lord asked this morning, are you coming? Are you coming to taste and see? Are you willing to come and look? Open your heart? Coming to respond? I would not miss it if I were to say, I'm sure there are some in here who are sitting here today who need to make that decision to go and see. And the Lord invites you to come and see. Come and try me out. Come and see if the Lord is good. Try me out. Be patient and be taught. For wisdom does not come from this world about the things of God. They come from being taught by the Spirit, by opening your heart and letting him teach you. Dear Father, I thank you for these words of Paul. What a contrast to our world. Lord, it appears that as we lock and, and long for your return, it's easy to, to miss. The wisdom that you offer, if we would just open our Bible, let come and see, have an opportunity to learn and be taught. Praying to give you insight into what you were trying to share, the great mysteries of God, which you have revealed to us to understand. And what are we to understand? We are to see a picture of you, Lord, your great mercy and grace to us. Open our hearts to that. In Jesus' name.